Well, hey, good morning, family. I know, I know. I'm just as surprised as you are that I'm up here right now. It's okay. It's all right. If, you, if you're a little worried, just grab the hand of someone next to you. It'll be a little awkward, but it'll make me feel better. So we're going to get through this, guys. We're going to get through this. Uh, my name is Don Jacobson. I am the student pastor here at Orlando Baptist Church. I almost said Orlando Christian Prep because I don't know why. Um, and first, before I start anything, I just want to say thank you. Um, like, thank you so much for, for praying for us as a ministry. Thank you so much for, for giving to us as a ministry. Thank you so much for encouraging us. Parents, thank you so much for allowing us to come beside you and, and, and help just where we can, just, just be that, that spiritual guide that you need. And, and so just thank you, 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 thank you. I'm not gonna say thank you to everybody, but you get the idea. Um, how was worship set? Was worship set okay? Wow, praise God, man, they did great. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I wanted to make sure we got all of our students up here so you guys could just kind of see uh, our, our ministry just worshiping to God, honoring him, giving him all the honor and glory that goes to him. A little bit about me, if you don't know, I uh, have been married for 26 years as of last month to my wonderful wife, Jenny. Uh, we have four awesome children. Christian, who's actually getting married on Saturday. <laughs> Uh, Emily, Sarah, and now Gavin. I say and now Gavin because um, as of Friday, um, we have... Um, <laughs> as of Friday, we um, had this amazing step happen, so now we can move towards adoption. And... I get emotional about that, so uh, just be praying for us because um, we really had this plan in place, my wife and I, that we would um, have kids young. We were high school sweethearts. Um, our youngest was going to be a senior this year, and we thought, great, we're going to be in our 40s and going to be empty nesters. Life's going to be great. And God's like, hey, y'all, watch this. Uh, and now we're starting over. We've got diapers. We've got two-year-old temper tantrums, so please... Please pray for us. Uh, um, but let's talk about camp. The theme uh, for camp was called unlikely. Uh, and it's God uses unlikely people to accomplish his purpose. Uh, and I think it's important that we define unlikely. So um, the, the way that we define it during church as being improbable, unexpected, or unanticipated. As I mentioned, I am the student pastor here, and you probably would not normally expect to see someone that looks like me as the student pastor, usually someone like, you know, 20 years younger. Believe it or not, I know, despite these boyish looks, guys, the jokes don't get any better than this. So if you don't laugh at these, you're not going to laugh at all, all right, guys? Uh, yeah, I actually have a kid that's going to be married, and, and this is, whew. Um, in all reality, I've been in full-time ministry for 307 days, one hour, and uh, one minute. Uh, I know, I know. Um, now, I've been working, paid and volunteering in ministry for close to 20 years. My focus starting out was mostly in kids' ministry. Then about four years ago, a friend of mine asked me to help with student ministry, and from there I was hooked. Um, the students are amazing and awesome and complicated and funny and crazy and they get on my nerves sometimes and I love them like children. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, up until September 6, 2021, my full-time job was as a technical operations manager for, for a company that, that I helped build from the ground up. 
And, and when, when earlier this year, earlier last year, we started to think about, we started to think about this career change. And I thought to myself, there were some things that, that started to creep up in my mind. It was like, hey, listen, I have a comfortable job right now. I've been doing this for a very long time. It pays good. I know what to expect. I know what, I know what time to come in. I know what time to leave. I know what my job's going to be. I, I was on the corporate ladder uh, to its fullest. I was, like, as a technical operations manager, my next step was chief operations officer. I was about two years away from that. Um, I was about two years from, from, from getting my financial goals to hitting my, my career achievements. Life was good. And then God, right? And then, and then this happened. Uh, and as we started to pray about this, as we started to contemplate what was going on, that, that doubt started to creep in. Like I said, this is a significant pay cut. How am I supposed to provide for my family? I have a kid in students. She doesn't want her old man in students. I, I, I'm in my mid-40s. I can't relate to these kids. How is God supposed to use me? Let's pray. Father, as we, as we step into this time of, of worship and of teaching, God, uh, I pray that, that you are in the center of all of this, God. I pray that, that every, every word spoken, every, every song sung, that, that everything that we talk about today is honoring and glorifying to you because, God, you alone are, are worthy of that honor and praise. God, I thank you so much for our students. I thank you for their dedication, for their willingness uh, to be vulnerable today. Um, God, I pray that you just give them just supernatural courage as they come up and speak uh, in a little bit, God. And God, pray, I, I just pray you use me. Uh, speak through me. Get me out of the way so that you are seen through everything that is said today, God. We love you, and we give this all to you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. You see, I'm an unlikely choice. Uh, I don't have the right education. Uh, I don't come from a lineage of ministers. I'm one of the few people here not related to a Janney. Uh, <laughs> You know, um, I, I don't have a, <laughs> thank you, thank you, I, that makes me feel good. Uh, I don't have the, the, the standard biblical upbringing. Like when you hear Corey come up and talk about how his, his family raised him and, and taught him all these biblical truths and, and all this stuff, that, that wasn't me. But yet, you know, I don't have all these biblical upbringings. You know, I like to listen to Tom Petty. I like to watch gangster movies. That's just who I am. Like, that's just, I'm a little bit different. Um, and, and that's, that's okay because I am unlikely and so are you. The amazing and humbling thing about this is that God can use us even when we don't feel useful. Uh, during our week at camp, we learned about another unlikely choice, David. We all know David, right? He was a giant slayer. He was a king. But before all of that, before he was a giant slayer, before he was a king, before he was known after a man after God's own heart, he was a shepherd boy. He was the youngest of eight brothers, the least likely to be chosen for anything. When dodgeball came around, you knew who the last kid was going to be picked. Now, probably in hindsight, watching him sling that sling, they probably should have picked him sooner, but whatever. Um, and so we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel today, uh, 1 and 2 Samuel today. And this is what's really cool about the Holy Spirit, guys, is... Um, when, when Dustin and Corey and, and John, when, when they're teaching about reading through Samuel and guiding us through Samuel all summer long, this wasn't something that, that we coordinated. This wasn't something that Student Life, like Student Life came up with this last year. But yet, God is faithful that, that, that what we're reading right now 
goes in line with what we've been talking about all summer long. And I, I don't know, that's just a side note. That's just something I think is really cool and awesome, and may, maybe I'm weird like that. Um, so anyway, so where are we in the story? So Saul is king. Uh, everyone has quickly realized that he's not the right, right man for the job. Uh, Samuel, a prophet, has been tasked with finding the next king. Uh, he's directed to a man named Jesse who lives in Bethlehem, uh, and Samuel is, to go, Samuel is to go there and talk about, and talk about, talk to uh, the sons of Jesse. And when the right brother talks to him, he'll know and anoint him as the next king of Israel. So we're going to read uh, 1 Samuel 16, uh, 6 through 13. And it says this, uh, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as the man sees. A man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Kind of highlight that or underline that. We're going to come back to that in a couple minutes here. Then Jesse called Abinadad. Abinadad? Anyone? There we go. We're going to go with that. And made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are all of your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Anyone here the youngest child in their family? Anyone ever here gotten forgotten before? Like, I mean, this can't be a good feeling. Like, you know, Jesse's like, all right, here's all my kids. Which one do you like? And Sammy's like, you got one more, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, David. I forgot all about him. So uh, he's, uh, Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down, for we will not sit down till he comes. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. How would you like to be known in the most published book, most popular book in the entire world as having beautiful eyes? Like, I mean, he must have been a knockout. Uh, and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to, to Ramah. So there's three things that we want to kind of pull out. Of, there's tons of stuff to pull out of this passage, but we don't have time to do all that. But we have three things to pull out of this passage. First, God's cho God chooses an unlikely person. David was the youngest of eight brothers, and, and he was a shepherd, which was often thought about as, as like the worst job to have. Um, he, the, the shepherds really, they, they had their flock, right? And they went from like field to field and, and, and they, their, their flock grazed. And, and you know what? A lot of times they were in other people's property. And so they were often thought of as thieves. Like, hey, they're stealing my grass, but whatever. Uh, they were often thought of as being unclean. So they weren't often allowed into the temple. So I would consider uh, David not only unlikely, but unqualified. A baby shepherd brother that stole grass and smelled funny. But God likes to use the unlikely, just to name a few. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, the disciples, you, me. So God chooses an unlikely person. God chooses an unlikely place. Bethlehem. Bethlehem was some podunk city in the middle of podunk nowhere with, with no ties to anything. It, it made Bethlehem, it made, uh, it made Bithlo look like a metropolis, right? Like, I mean... No one went, hey, honey, where do you want to go for vacation? Let's go to Bethlehem. They've got sand. Like, it's like they just, it wasn't something that you did. So this, this little itty-bitty town where God did mighty things. I mean, obviously, you know the story of Jesus. So God has taught us over and over that 
until you are faithful where you are now, you will not be placed to do more. Right? David had to be faithful where he was. We, we often have to be faithful where we are if we're to be used more by God. I think of the parable of the talents, right? So God chooses an unlikely person. He chooses an unlikely place, and he makes an unlikely promise. And 1 Samuel 6, 13 is the moment when David is set aside as king. And there's, again, so much to get out of this verse. I, I love the part where it says the spirit of the Lord rushing upon David. Because the other time, this is, the other time that I noticed that this was used is in Acts 2, when the, when, the, when the spirit of the Lord rushes upon the disciples and they got in Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved. Uh, but what I want to focus on is that God didn't anoint him as king and then immediately send him off to be king. It wasn't like, dude, there you go. Hey, man, have fun. Storm in the castle. Be good. Uh, it wasn't like that. He had to learn. There was a space between the anointing and the appointment. Remember, David was the youngest brother. He needed time to mature. He needed time to grow. He, he, needed, he needed to go through those trials. He needed, to, he needed to learn what it's like to kill a lion and kill a bear and, and kill a, a Philistine that's nine feet tall. Like, he had to go through these, these processes. He had to learn how to become a friend. And, and Jonathan, like, there were all these steps that had to happen on his way to becoming king. And that's often the case with us. As believers, we know that God has a plan for us and that we are called to do his will, but it isn't always immediately, especially in student ministry. We see this all the time. I get asked at least a few times every, like last year and back before when I was, like, I don't know how God wants to use me. And that's okay. That's okay. The, 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 the thing that, that we always try to teach our students is that you need to be obedient. You need to be open to his calling. Be open to what he has for you. Read the Bible. Pray. Talk to those, talk to those that mentor you. Because that's, that's where we get our direction from. That's how the Holy Spirit helps lead us in the way that we should be going. So most of the times, we're only shown the next step and we only need to be obedient because God likes to use unlikely people from unlikely places and speak unlikely promises into their lives. What an unbelievably humbling thought. It's not like God is sitting there thinking, well, Tom Brady, you're not available, so um, I guess we'll use someone else. Let's use this old guy here. Hey, you go. Like, no, it's not like that. Like, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for our students' lives. So the questions are these. So God has chosen you. Do you step into the calling? Or to say it another, uh, to say it another way, what could God do if we believed that God can use you? So we're going to transition to the time of testimonies from our students. Um, and I was praying like for weeks before and even, even during camp, man, God, speak to our students. I know everyone just got nervous over here. That's awesome. Like everyone just kind of shifted. That was great. Um, but my prayer the whole time was that, that God would use our students, that God would show them their next step, that the Holy Spirit would, would fill them and lead them and, and direct them as to what that next step is. Now, it could be anything. For some of our students, maybe it was the beginning of their journey of faith. Maybe for other students, it was getting direction and being willing to listen to what God has in store for their lives. And maybe for some of our, our seasoned Christians, it was time for them to submit their lives to God. It was time to say, hey, you know what, God, however you want to use me, use me. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. Uh, I joked around saying, hey, maybe, some, maybe you'll be a, a, a missionary in the Amazon. Um, and, and when I told them that, they said, no, but hey, who knows? Hey, 
Uh, you got a 40-something guy being a student pastor right now, so anything's possible. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask all, everyone who is uh, going to do a testimony to go ahead and come on up. Come on up. Come on up. So that's, come on, you know who you are. You know who you are. Everyone's waiting for the first person to stand up. Um, and I'm going to be up here with them just to kind of give them a little uh, breath. And so there's a couple of questions I've asked them to kind of answer, to kind of guide us through this time. One is, what were your expectations coming into camp? When you were coming into camp, what did you think was going to happen? And then how did God speak to you? How did the Holy Spirit guide you through this? So here, you guys are going to use this mic right here. So who was going first? It was Maddie. It was, it was you, I'm sorry. Yes, it was, I'm sorry. Yeah, let's give it up for Maddie, all right. So Maddie, once again, just this kind of, what were your expectations? Oh. And you've got stuff written down. No, no, read what you got written down, I love yeah, it. Let's just... go. I'm just gonna shut up then. I'm gonna talk less so you can talk more. Okay, so since camp last year, with like 2021, I felt God working in my heart and I ultimately realized that our main purpose on here on this earth is to glorify God and spread his word anywhere and everywhere we can. And in order to do this, we need to be fully equipped with the word of God. And one phrase that really stuck with me from camp this year was that Satan can't know the Bible better than me. This was important to me because I feel like I haven't been doing a good enough job of making sure I know God's word for myself. And I wanna make sure that I can use what was preached at camp and translate it to my life um, back home because if I don't, then the enemy wins. Right now, this step of keeping myself accountable to read the Bible daily and spend time in prayer seems small, but I hope someday it will make a big difference, not only to me, but also to the people around me. As 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are Christ's ambassadors. All right, good job. Wow, that was, that was great. And that, honestly, like reading our Bible daily, doing that is something that a lot of our students committed to. And uh, just to kind of brag on my daughter a little bit, uh, this morning I went to wake her up, and I was like, okay, it's kind of early, I'm gonna go in there, and there she was. She had her Bible open, she had her journal open, she was, she was in the Word, and it's been great, and she's got an amazing small group leader who's been helping to guide them and direct them through this time to give them, because that's what we want, right? We want our kids to be in the word. We want our kids praying. We want, our, we want our, our now generation to be living a life that pleases and glorifies God. So praise God for that. All right, next up is Titus. Come on up, buddy. So this was my first um, church camp, and I actually went into it thinking I was going to, like, tents and s'mores and all that. So... <laughs> Slight mistake, no. but what I realized is that like the main point that stood out to me over this camp was unlikely, but in the version of unlikely forgiveness. The main story that stood out was um, uh, the prodigal son story, how no matter what his son did, no matter how bad he was or all his mistakes, God still forgives him, and that's shown just like through the story. I guess that's the main point I see is just how no matter what, God is with you. Man, all right, good job. All right, next up we have Carly. Let's give it up for Carly. Okay, so I need you to ask me questions, actually. Okay, so okay. what were your leading into camp, and then how, how did God speak to you through the messaging and the, the big time together throughout camp? Okay? So my expectations going into camp, I guess I didn't really have any. 
like, I've been to church camp every single year except for COVID, and I've always, like, felt God's presence and stuff, and I would worship, I'd raise my hands, and I'd, like, share in, like, the life group or whatever, and this year, I realized, like, I wasn't feeling, like, I was feeling God's presence, but I wasn't feeling, I don't know how to explain it, but I realized that all this time, I've been piggybacking off of my parents' faith, and my parents are the pastors of this church. <laughs> so it was easy to like take a piece of their faith basically and just say that like, I don't know. It was easy for it to not be my own because I would get prayers before dinner and little devotions in the morning. So why did I need to pray on my own or read the Bible on my own if I did it with the family? And I realized that I needed to make my faith my own and so I decided to start reading my Bible and praying, and yeah. Like Carly said, like Titus said, like this was, this was a big step for a lot of our students was, was realizing that the faith of their parents is not, is not enough. It just simply isn't enough. We can't live under the shadow of someone else. We eventually have to come out and, and take ownership of our faith. And, and Carly's just one example of, of a bunch of students that said that throughout the week. So, so praise God for that. And then finally, Moses Joyce, come up here for a second here. So these guys, these guys were, were not only brand new to camp, but like brand new to our student group. Like, like they're generally over helping with, 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 uh, with the Spanish ministry. Um, their father works over there and, and helps out uh, Pastor Carlos. And, and so I don't wanna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna see their thunder, but let me just, uh, by the end of camp, there's like their family. Like you guys are stuck with us no matter what happens. We got you no matter what. So I just want to say that real quick. And I'm going to hand you guys, um, there's one more mic. Uh, Moses, if you want to grab that black mic there. Yep. And then you guys are going to kind of share. So they're sharing their testimony because during our testimony time during the week, um, it was funny. Joyce was up and, and saying some really um, special words. And then Moses stands up and he's like, hey, you're stealing my testimony. So I thought to, to stop that, to stop the sibling stuff, I'd let you guys both speak. So there you go. Um, so as Don said, my name is Joyce, and going into camp, I really didn't expect much because a few weeks before camp, one of my best friends, he passed away. So it got to a point where I was filled with so much pain and grief that I lost all hope in God. So first day of camp, just like right there, the theme for that day was unlikely hope. And the speaker says, God is not the cause of the chaos. He is the calm in the midst of it. So all these past few weeks, I had been focusing on everything crumbling around me, but I wasn't focusing on him. So right there that morning, I'm like, I'll focus on you and everything else that can go away. I just want to be here with you. So yeah, we both basically had the same testimony, but <laughs> yesterday I was like, I'm going to sit down and find something different to talk about. <laughs> And it's from the same session, though, like what she was saying, everything felt really hopeless, but the speaker said, hope is not a thing, it's a person, and it's Jesus. Jesus is our hope. So thank you for having us. Hey, let's give it up. Let's give it up for our students. Good job, guys. You guys can have a seat now. Thank you. Thank you so much. Like, this was just a taste of the testimonies that we heard throughout the week. Um, and I just, we, we, wanted, we wanted to do that 
hopefully so you guys would be encouraged. Hopefully you guys would see what, it, what, what is happening in our student ministry, how God is using our students in our student ministry. So I don't have time to talk about everything we learned during the week. It was eight sessions, and I'm sure you guys are going to want to eat uh, in a little bit here. So I am going to move forward to our Wednesday night session, which is probably one of our, our more powerful sessions overall. Um, so uh, it was talking about an unlikely response. And so we're going to jump to a point in the story uh, where David has become the king of Israel. It was a, and, and this was, this was so, so weird to me when we read through this, because he's like, in the beginning of, of, this, of this chapter here, uh, of 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says, in the spring of this year, uh, the time when kings go out to battle. Like, I was thinking, like, like, is this like football season? Like, is there like a fantasy draft that happens beforehand? Like, what happened? Like, this is just like, hey, we watched football, and they just went out and killed each other. Like, it's just very strange to me. Um, so we got to battle. Uh, so anyway, we're going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. So in the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, Rabbah, Rabbah. Uh, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened one late afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof to the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she, be, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Uh, and then she returned to her house. Yeah, guys, we, we talked about this during student camp. Like, we, we get in, like, we don't... We don't sugarcoat a lot of stuff, especially with our students, because this is stuff they're dealing with right now. Um, but the first thing I want you to see is that David stayed in Jerusalem. This was a time when he was supposed to be out in battle. This was a time when he was supposed to be with his people, but instead he stayed home. See, David was not where he was supposed to be. And you know what? It's hard to do the right thing in the wrong place. David was in bed when he should have been in battle. And so he sins. He, lay, he lays with a married woman. And to make matters worse, as if that wasn't enough, she becomes pregnant. So David has a decision to make, to come clean or to cover it up. And he decides, of course, to cover it up. Um, and so he, 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 does, he does a bunch of different things. He calls her, her husband home and is like, hey, listen, uh, you're home. Don't you want to go see your wife and spend time with her? And your eyes like, no, 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 man. I just came back from the battle. I need to, my, my men are sleeping in the mud. They're sleeping in tents. I'm not going to go sleep in my bed. I need to go back out there. And so plan A doesn't work for David. So he goes to plan B. He's like, all right, you know what? I'm going to send your eye. I'm going to send him to the the." the the worst part of the battle, the, where the heaviest casualties are happening. And hopefully, hopefully he'll die. And that's what happens. So basically, David murders her husband to try to cover up a sin. So he's gone from shepherd to hero to king to adulterer to murderer. Uh, and we define sin as falling short of what God has for us. Because this, this story is full of sin, full of David's sin. And how do we learn from this? How do we, how do we get out what's important to that? And so there's three things that sin is likely to do. Number one, sin is likely to seek you out. We learn that, that sin is not this passive thing that we just kind of stumble upon. You know, Genesis says that sin is crouching at your door. Peter writes that the devil prowls around like a luring, roaring lion seeking to devour. And we must be alert and aware that sin is active. Number two, sin is likely to start small. 
David's sin didn't start necessarily on the rooftop. Like he didn't go on the rooftop thinking, hey, how can I sin today? He didn't go on the, probably the rooftop was the one place in the world where he had some peace and quiet. It's probably the one place in the world where he could like pray and, and write out some of the, write out what later became some of the Psalms. So he, he, here he was, he's up here and he sees this woman and he, has, he, he could just turn around, right? Because here's the thing. We can't control what comes up in front of you, but you can control where it camps in your head. Because in this day and age especially, right? Like we're on our phones, stuff comes up on our phones all the time. It's what do we do with that? Do we click on it and go down that rabbit hole? Do we get rid of it? Are we, are we, in, a, are we in a place where things are going on and we know that we shouldn't be in that place, do we get out of that place so that we don't sin or do we stay in there and allow sin to take a hold in our lives? So sin is likely to seek you out. Sin is likely to start small. And three, sin is likely to send you somewhere you don't want to go. David didn't start his, his, this, this part of his story thinking that, hey, I'm gonna murder somebody, Right? It didn't go from, hey, I'm gonna go to my rooftop to let's kill this guy. It was, it was a progression. It got bigger. It, it, got, it got complicated. It got worse and worse and worse the more that he tried to deal with it. Right? Because David bought into the lie of the promises of the sin. But here's the thing. Sin over promises and it never, ever, ever delivers right? We, 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 can, we can try to justify what's going on. Hey, listen, I'm just trying. If I can just get through this, everything will be okay. Hey, if, if I can just put this in this corner over here and ignore it, everything's going to be fine. I'll get back on path. Don't worry. I don't, I don't need to deal with that. I don't, need, I don't need to worry about that. Sin over promises and never delivers. And now this is the part of the story where the prophet Nathan shows up. And he comes and confronts David in the name of the Lord. Uh, Nathan tells David a story about a rich man and a poor man, and there's a sheep involved. And, and David's like, uh, hey, that, that rich man, he's, he's wrong for stealing the, old, the, the, the poor man's sheep. And, and Nathan's like, hey, that was you, guy. <laughs> By the way, you're not doing the right thing, okay? And, and, and he lays out all this stuff that's gonna happen to him because of his sin. He's gonna constantly be in battle. He's gonna lose his family. He's, he's got all this stuff that's happening as a result of his sin. And so David, as the king... He can do whatever he wants, right? Like he can just say, you know what? I'm gonna make it a rule that it's not illegal to, uh, to murder someone if you slept with his wife, all right? Because I'm the king and I can do that, right? That's, that's, that's just me. But that's not what he does. You see, David recognized that his, re his repentance was more important than his reputation. David still had to deal with the consequences of his actions, both within his kingdom and in his personal life. Uh, and if you didn't know, the book of Psalms book of Psalms, is largely written by David or, or by David's songwriters. Uh, so we have this amazing uh, opportunity, this very unique opportunity where we can actually see into the mind of David during this time. A lot of what's going on, we, we write, it was written and recorded in Psalm. And so, and so we're going to go into Psalms 51, Psalm 51. So it was written by, by David, and it's often known as a psalm of repentance. And Psalm 51, 1 through 10 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly uh, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall wither uh, I shall be whiter than snow. Uh, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have uh, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David's response in Samuel was this. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against you and the Lord. I, well, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. So David repented. He, he knew what he had done was wrong. Uh, it, it was during this time in the story, like this super powerful thing happened. And this is why I have like the greatest job in the world. Because I got to witness about 900 students turn away from a sin that was in their lives. It, it was a super powerful time. And, and, and the, the, the visual that happened was the speaker asked all of our students just to stand if you were willing to, to take part in this repentance. And so a lot of our students stood up. And he said, I want this chair to represent your sin. And so I want you to move away from it. I want you to turn away from that sin and I want you to move towards God. And so as the, the symbolic them moving from, from chair out was just this powerful message. And I know it stuck with a lot of our students of this visualization of them turning away from their sin. Because that's what repentance is about. Repentance isn't just saying you're sorry. God, I'm sorry I did it, right? Like I could go over and I could kick, I could kick Dustin in the head because, you know, I just want to do that. And I can be like, hey, Dustin, I'm sorry. And he's like, all right, cool. And then I walk over again and I kick him again in the head, right? And I say, oh, you know what? Hey, this time I mean it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, right? But then 10 seconds later, I go and I kick him in the head again. Like, that's not repentance. That's looking for my get out of jail free card, right? Like, like God wants us to repent from our sins. He wants us to turn away from it. He wants us to walk away. Does that mean that we'll never sin again? No, of course not. We're human. We're, we're, we're faulted. We are, we are, we're not right. Like, we are sinful people. But the idea here, the idea here, and what you hear in this psalm is that David turns to God. That he says, I can't do this on my own. I don't have enough strength to do this on my own. I need you. And that's what, that's what our, our students learned that week, was that we need God. We need to be in his word constantly. We need to be uh, vigilant about the sin in our lives. We need to know that God has got us. And so here's my call to action to you guys. Here's, I'm gonna wrap this all up and then we're gonna sing a chorus of a song. Uh, but here's my call to action. Church, pay attention to our students. Encourage them. Pray for them. Be a part of their lives. We, they need us. I say this all the time to them. Like, like, they're often considered the next generation of church. No, that's not right. They are the now generation of church. A lot of our students are already serving behind the scenes and on the stage and in kids' ministry and even in, even in student ministry. Like, they are the next generation. They're learning 
how to serve God, how to give him all the honor and glory through what they do in their lives, how they dedicate their lives to him. So guys, I need you to pray for them. I need you to encourage them. I need you to be a part of their lives. Yeah, we meet on Wednesday night in a room back there in the back where no one really knows where we are, but that's okay because I know that you guys know where we are. And I know you guys want to pray and you want to encourage us and you want to be a part of our lives. So just continue to do that. And students, students, this is for you guys. This is the call to action for you guys. Remember what happened at camp. Remember the decisions you made. Remember, remember the thoughts you had. Remember what was spoken to you. Remember how the Holy Spirit revealed himself to you. Use it. Use it. You are here on purpose and for a purpose. You, you are here for more than just sitting in a pew. You are here for more than just coming to church with your parents. You are meant for more. You are meant to lead because you are the body of Christ. Spend time in the word. Ask questions. Get outside your comfort zone. Remember and remember this, guys, the scars that you have are often going to be the best teaching points of your life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. God, I, I, I'm just a, a, a sinful, broken man, and I need you. And God, I know the body of Christ, we need you. And you tell us that, that if we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us, God. So right now, right here in this moment, God, I pray that we all just do that. We all just draw near to you. That you reveal yourself in a fresh and a new way, day after day, as we, as we read in your word, as we, as we just learn more about your life, Jesus, God. We love you. And we dedicate this time to you. We dedicate our lives to you. God, use us in a mighty way. It's in your sons that we pray. Amen.